Welcome to another great message from Faith Christian Church. For more details, check out our website, faithcc.com.au. We hope you enjoy this message. And so we're going to be looking at the Word of God. And you know, last week I spoke about the Lord's Prayer. And uh, we just talked about the first two lines of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so we're going to continue to work through that today and just some of the great ideas that we can get out of the Lord's Prayer. And you know, last week I spoke about that when Jesus came to his disciples, they asked him, Lord, will you teach us how to pray? And so Jesus gives them this format of prayer. And you've got to understand that it was a radical idea versus to all the other prayers that were being prayed around in those days. And Jesus comes as an alternative to religious prayers. He was saying to them, listen, this is a prayer of relationship. This is a prayer of connection. This is a prayer of getting a revelation from heaven. And so that's why I just love this prayer, because I think we can learn so much about how Jesus taught his disciples and how we can learn the same thing. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 13, Jesus again is speaking about the Lord's Prayer. We're going to read it again, and then we're going to talk about the next two lines. And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your your room and close the door. Pray to your Father who is unseen, and then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Come on, who knows the Bible says he's a reward of those who diligently seek him, you know. And, uh, and when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need even before you ask Him. This is then how you should pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your, real, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I want to have a look at verse 10, where Jesus says to his disciples, disciples, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. When Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What type of kingdom was Jesus speaking about? You know, if Jesus says your kingdom come, what type of kingdom should we be praying for? I think the disciples would have asked that same particular question. And I I believe in those days the disciples were thinking of an earthly kingdom. There was no doubt that the Jews were believing that the Messiah would come to deliver them from Roman tyranny and Roman rule. And there's this idea that the disciples were thinking that he was going to come and set things straight. You know, it's no secret in in, in the history of the world that the the Jews didn't like the fact that the Romans had come to dominate their land. And so they were doing everything to wriggle away from the dominating rule of the Roman Empire. And so when there was this idea of the Messiah coming, they were believing that he would come on that day, in that season, and in that hour, and actually deliver them from Roman rule. And so I think the disciples had the same idea. But you know, Jesus wasn't talking about an earthly kingdom. He was talking about something far greater, much more powerful 
than just that day government rule. You know, I heard this quote many years ago, and even though I probably wouldn't do it justice, but I thought the idea was incredibly powerful. And this particular guy begins to write this quote about his observation when it comes to changing society. And he makes this point and he says that, that if you want to have significant change, then you need to change your environment. And the reality is that is obviously somewhat true. That if you want to change things around you, you've got to change your environment. You know, we see that in different societies and different governments coming in and having to deal with certain things. I know that they did this in New York many years ago when New York was full of crime and, you know, it was dangerous to go out into the streets. One of the, you know, one of the uh, governments went in there and they began to clean up the streets and they got rid of all the graffiti and on the trains and they changed the environment. And as a result of that, uh, New York began to change. But the, but the quote goes on to say this, that yes, that, that, that produces a certain level of change. But if you want even greater change, then first change the heart of the man who will in turn change the environment around him. And the kingdom that Jesus is talking about, yes, he's talking about an eschatological kingdom and the future and things like that. But he's talking to his disciples about a kingdom of God that has arrived now. And he's talking about the kingdom of God and the change that it brings in each and every one of us. The kingdom of internal change rather than external change. You know, I was talking to one of the guys in our church just the other day and he told me his story about coming out of a home of severe abuse and, and just incredible violence. And as a child, he would see violence and he would see his dad beating his mum uh, many times. And as a result, growing up, he became a violent young man and he would often go into the streets just to pick a fight because, uh, you know, that's the only thing that he had learned. And as a result of that, he became a very violent man. But the man that he is today, as I'm sitting having a cup of coffee with this particular gentleman, the man that he is today is so different to the man that he grew up. And I looked at him and he said, you know what, it was because my encounter with Jesus, the thing that he did inside of me, that even though I'd come up from a home of violence, and even though I'd come up from an environment, I'm a completely different man today. And I believe that when we pray in our families and in our children's lives and in our marriages, when we pray your kingdom come, we are asking for God's culture and God's kingdom and God's values and God's peace and God's perspective and God's understanding in our situation. Your kingdom come, not top down, but from the inside out, not ruling from above but changing from within, not with power, but with servanthood. You notice the way that Jesus speaks about these things. He's coming from an environment where it was all top down, trying to control people, yet he comes if you come with servanthood, if you come with meekness and kindness, if you come from a heart who God has changed from within, that is when you walk into the kingdom of God. So the reality is that Jesus presents a kingdom from within, a kingdom to rule the hearts of men and women. His kingdom has the ability to save us from ourselves. And see, when we pray, your kingdom come, when we begin to pray this over our families and we begin to pray this over our lives, I believe it does a number of powerful things in our lives. Number one, it gives us kingdom vision. 
It gives us kingdom vision. You know, I do believe that when you give your life to Jesus, it changes the way that you see things, the way that you see yourself, the way that you view life, the way that you approach problems, the way that you deal with difficulty, the way that you resolve pain in your life. You know, uh, many of you, if you've been in this church for a while, you, you would have heard of Franca's story of abuse when she was young. And how when that evil was perpetrated on her as a young girl, it just affected her in so many different ways. But one day she had an encounter with God. And God began to give her a different vision about her future. God began to give her a different vision about what he wanted her to be. And through that vision, he gave her the ability to begin to deal with this stuff. He gave hope in a hopeless situation. He gave confidence where there was inconfidence. He gave a boldness to deal with this issue once and for all. You know, every kingdom has a vision. And God birthed kingdom vision in us when we gave our lives to him. Number two, he gives us kingdom perspective. You know, think about all the stuff that goes on in our lives right now. You know, especially all the stuff that is going on in the world. And the stuff that that produces in our lives. You know, the stuff that we're having to deal with right now, naturally it produces fear. Naturally it produces anxiety. Naturally it produces worry and concern. But when you pray your kingdom come, you're not only asking, you're not only looking at your perspective, but you are asking God to overlay his kingdom perspective over your perspective. He's asking, you're asking the Holy Spirit to come. And to say, God, will you bring your kingdom over my thought life and over my emotions and over some of the things that I'm dealing with right now? We see in the early church that often the disciples were overwhelmed. We see in the early church there were many seasons where the disciples were freaking out. They knew they were doing the will of God, but they were completely overwhelmed. One of them here is Acts chapter 4, verse 29. It records, the Bible records different times where the apostles were completely freaking out. Acts chapter 4, verse 29, after people were just wanting to come after them. It says, Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly listen in your fear and in your you know seasons of just anxiety and just full of concern you can ask for God's kingdom perspective you can ask for the Holy Spirit to come and give you boldness in those seasons you know the Bible says in Hebrews for us not to throw away our confidence you know it's so easy for us to look right now through the eyes of natural eyes and see what's going on around us But the Bible says, come on, I want you to have a kingdom perspective about what you're dealing with right now because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And our troubles are only momentarily. They will pass on, but the kingdom of God will reign forever. He says, your kingdom come. The second thing he says, he says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, that is such a bold statement. To actually see the will of God outworked in your life. You know, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians, as he opens up this wonderful book, 
he makes this statement about the will of God. He says in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God. Listen, church, not by chance, not by some random act, not by some unintended consequences, but he was an apostle by the will of God. And I have to say that when I read this, it's actually a bold statement coming from the Apostle Paul. Because when you read about Paul's history, you see the way that he met Jesus was actually quite radical. The Bible says in the book of Acts, chapter 9, verse 1 to 6, it says, Meanwhile, while Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So that if he may be a fan by any there who belong to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Saul asked. I'm Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what to do. You know, I just love the way the Bible puts it. Think about this, right? Here he is, and he's out to destroy. He has got an agenda. I mean, this guy is a violent man. And the Bible says that as he was breathing a murderous threats, I love the way the Bible puts it. You know, as he's just ruminating, I'm going to kill these guys. I'm going to go after them. and I'm going to wipe them out. And you know, I'm going to hurt them. I'm going to bring pain. I'm sick and tired of this Christianity thing. I'm just going to deal with it once and for all. You know, as he's on his agenda, all of a sudden, bang, he has an encounter with God. And he says, who are you? And he says, Jesus, whom you are persecuting. I think this is a powerful revelation when it comes to the will of God in our lives. You know, I would say this. I've actually started to change my prayer when it comes to the will of God. I think many times when we wrestle with the will of God and God, what do you want me to do? And what God, what is the next season for me? I, I think sometimes we have this mentality that the, the, the will of God is like this mystery that we always have to work out, that we always have to wrestle with. You know, we kind of treat it like, you know, my parents used to treat me when I was a child. I remember growing up, you know, at Christmas and at birthday, one of the things that my parents would often do is, you know, they would like to play hide and seek with the presents that they'd give us. So rather than just giving us the present, they would hide the present. And so as a young boy, I'd have to go and find the present, you know, that my parents would hid, hide. And, you know, sometimes they put it out in the bushes and, you know, sometimes they put it out, you know, under the house. And, you know, one day they put it five kilometres away. No, they didn't. They just, you know, just ran the different areas. And, and as I'd be walking, they would say, warmer, warmer, if I get closer. And then if I get further away, colder, colder, colder. You know, and until finally, after a few minutes, I would find the gift. The funny thing about that, that is that they did that all the way to the age of 18. You know, so as a child, it was great. But when you get 18, oh, here we go again. Just give me the present. And I think sometimes people like that with the will of God. We're kind of stumbling around in the dark. God, I want your will for my life, but where is it? Am I getting closer? And God, I just want to make sure that I'm doing what, I, what you want me to do. But the reality is with that idea in the will of God, the reality is, is that the Apostle Paul wasn't seeking the will of God, but the will of God found the Apostle Paul. The, the Apostle Paul wasn't going after the will of God. He was actually, in reality, going the direct opposite to the will of God. 
but God came after the Apostle Paul. Look, Galatians chapter 1, verse 14. Paul is saying, as I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from birth, called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man. And he goes on to talk about what that actually meant for him. The reality is he wasn't zealous for God. He was zealous for the traditions of his fathers. He was zealous for his story, uh, his tradition, the thing that he wanted, his agenda. Paul was at a place that he didn't know what he didn't know. But in that place, he found the will of God because it was the will of God that found the Apostle Paul. Let me, I say this to say this. You know, I say this to say this. It doesn't make sense, but anyway. Many times we think the will of God is always up to us. But when you say, God, let your will be done over my life and over my family, you are saying, God, I have great confidence. Listen, I have great confidence that your will is gonna find my family. Your will is going to find my children. Your will is going to find my future, you know. And so the prayer that I've prayed now is, God, will you give me the courage to do your will? I think that's the big thing about the will of God, that in my prayer life, God, give me the courage to do your will, that when I find your will, when your will comes and stands at the doorway, that I have a choice to go my own way or to go down your path and your will for my life. I want you to notice in the Lord's Prayer that even before we are asking for anything or putting our needs and petitions before God, even before all of that, we are coming to God saying, God, we want to know your will. God, give us the courage to move in your will. And God, in everything that we deal with in life, we want your kingdom perspective. We want your kingdom vision. You know, already Jesus is kind of giving his disciples in the right attitude and the right frame of mind, ready to go after some of the things that they know that, that God is just going to bless their life with. I want to ask you in this place today, you know, all over this place, maybe, uh, you know, you're sitting at home and watching it for the first time. Maybe you're sitting somewhere and it's the first time that you've ever seen someone, you know, at church and here's this guy, you know, preaching away and trying to tell jokes. I want to ask you today, have you ever, ever given your life to Jesus? Because I want to say this, that God has got a will for your life. God has got a purpose for your life. God has got something for you. God has got a designed will for you. The Bible says that even before you were born, He had a plan and a purpose for you. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Christian Church. To stay up to date, check us out at our website, faithcc.com.au.